I started attending fellowship about eight years ago. I was the type of person who came into church not wanting to engage in conversation with anyone. I wanted to hear the message and get back to my stuff. It was all about me. Then the Lord started to convict me about how I was leading my family, and I wasn't too sure what to do about it. Fellowship encouraged me to begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, so I began to open up to Him. That Easter, I fully committed my life to Christ, and since then, I've been on an amazing journey. I am now fully committed to God, my family, and my church. I am more compassionate, a giver of much more grace to those around me, and the spiritual leader in my home. God has given me the desire to meet the needs of His people and encourage others to begin the same amazing journey in life. Because this is what we do. This is who we are. This is us. At Fellowship of the Rockies, we want to see people encouraged, forgiven, set free, empowered, and serving in the way God designed them. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is us. We're in this series called This Is Us. We're looking at our vision statement that, that helps us understand who we are. If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can click to or turn to uh, maybe two groups of, of passages, Matthew chapter 9 and then 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is, is where we're going to be tonight. We're going to start out on Matthew chapter 9 as I help you understand where this, the, the words to this vision statement came from. And then we're going to move to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 as, as we look at the word for today. And so, I, so, it's, so the vision statement's going to come up and on the, on the screen. And, and so this is the vision statement that, that, you know what, God not only has for our church, but, it, but he has for us individually. And so as the vision statement comes up, there the vision statement is. And so here's the vision statement. To see people encouraged, forgiven, set free, empowered, and serving in the way God, has, God designed them. And so I, I think it's not only important that we know it, but, but, but we memorize it and we, we understand it. And so it's easier for me to memorize if I don't just try to memorize it, but I, I think of each step. Because really and truly, it, it is a step. It is a step towards Christian maturity. And so when we developed uh, this vision statement and we gave it fresh language, we didn't look for a bunch of cool words or anything like that. We just wanted to clearly define the, 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 the culture, the community that we want to create here at Fellowship of the Rockies. And so, so you may be wondering, well, where did these words come from? And, and, and what was the process of coming up with these words or this fresh, light, fresh language? And actually, these words come from, from Jesus. And so Matthew chapter 9, uh, some buddies bring a paralytic, uh, a man that, that was paralyzed, and, and they brought him uh, lying on a bed, and they bring him to a church service where Jesus was like the guest preacher. And when Whenever Jesus was like the guest preacher, I mean, the whole town showed up. And so uh, people couldn't get into the, to the church. They got there kind of late. And so they, they dropped this man down th through the roof. And so Jesus had a conversation with this man. And these are the words um, that describe what Jesus told that individual. So Matthew chapter 9, uh, here, here's, what the, here's what the Bible says. It says, And getting into a boat, he, being Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, 
my son, encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. That's where the word forgiven comes from. And then you drop down to verse 6, and and Jesus had a conversation with the Pharisees. And then verse 6, he has a conversation again with the paralytic. And he says these words, uh, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise. In other words, you're set free. Pick up your bed. You're empowered. And go home. And so serving. He was to serve in his home. And he was serving the local church in verse 7. And so he arose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. And so tonight I want to talk to you about the first word in our vision statement. I want to talk to you about this word in, encouraged. And, 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 and how important in community encouragement is. Because research, when you just start, you just start studying this word, research shows repeatedly that people that are trying to reach certain goals in life, trying to change some things in life, have a much greater rate of, 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 of reaching their goals or succeeding that if they're connected to other individuals, if they're connected to other people, if they live in community, if they're connected to a support group. In fact, his research shows that, that an elderly person uh, who suffers a heart attack or a stroke uh, fares much better when... When, when they're connected to a support group, when they're connected to family, they have relationships around them that can encourage them and support them. Uh, in fact, his research shows that people, uh, tap into the, people who tap into the power of relationships have a stronger immune system, tend to get sick less frequent, and recover faster. Here's, here's one of the, my favorite things that I discovered about encouragement. And so, Karen, you may want to cover your ears for this one. Even if you eat un- an unhealthy diet, I'll just quote it, so don't shoot the messenger. Even if you eat an unhealthy diet but, par- but are a part of a close-knit community, you will live longer than if you're emotionally isolated and eat only healthy foods. Amen, amen, that will, that will preach. I mean, so... So here's my new motto in life. Here's my, here, here, this is my talking points now. Bad food, good company, good friends, live long and healthy and prosper. Amen in Jesus' name. <laughs> I'm now telling my friends when we're, we're like eating bad, thank you so much. You're canceling out the damage this food is doing just by you being a bit... I mean, it just, it just works, and, and it, it's scientific, and so this, this isn't me. This is just research that I did this last week, and I can cite it, Henry Cloud, page 37 on his book. Anyway, so relationships matter a great deal to us, and, and you know this, right? Relationships matter a great deal to us in life. They're either going to bring you a lot of hurt or a lot of pain. I mean, usually, usually whether it's joy or suffering, Joy or pain, we're talking about people, we're talking about relationships. Here, here's, just some, here's just some scriptures out of Proverbs. Proverbs talks a lot about friendships. It talks a lot about encouragement. A friend lo- uh, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. I mean, you know this, right? You can be closer to a church family than sometimes you are your own family. Christian community can be... You, you can connect with them at a deeper level, and they can encourage you more sometimes than like your own family. Here's another one, Proverbs 18, 24. A, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And Proverbs is saying this. Proverbs is saying there's a difference in unreliable friends 
or friends that will destroy you rather than the friends that will stick with you. That, that Some friends, what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, there, there are some friends that are with you like, like a river that will flow at times and will dry up at other times. In other words, during times of rain and during times of harvest, the river is flowing strong, but when, when, when there's a dry season, the, the, the river dries up, and the same is true with friends. There are some friends that are there with you for the celebrations of life, but you go through a dry time, you go through a dry season, and all of a sudden, they dry up. They're no longer there. Here's another one, Proverbs 27.5. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an, of an enemy. Um, you know, Navy SEALs, Navy SEALs understand the power of encouragement, the power of encouragement that comes through community, being connected, relationships. The fact is, if you read or watch any of the TV shows about how Navy SEALs are trained or, or how they operate, then you, you know this, that they never drop a Navy SEAL in alone. They always drop a Navy SEAL in with a buddy. And when Navy SEALs land behind enemy lines, they ask themselves, they're trained, they're, they ask themselves three questions. Where am I? Where's my buddy and where's the enemy? Where am I? Where's the enemy and where's my buddy? In other words, the first thing they do, we got to get our orientation. We need to know where we are. We need to know where the enemy are. We need to know who the enemy is. And you know what the scripture tells us? That we as Christians, we're behind enemy lines. And so we need to be aware of where is the enemy, who is the enemy. And then the last thing they ask themselves, where, where, where is my buddy? I, I, I need to be connected. Where, 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 is, my, where is my buddy? And so, we, listen, we all need a buddy in life. We all need friends in life. We all need buddies in life. Why? To, sometimes to keep us from doing dumb stuff, right? Sometimes to keep us from making mistakes. We need buddies in life that can speak into our... Listen, community is so important in the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 2.12 says this. When I, Paul's writing, he says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord... My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. I didn't find my buddy. So I took leave of them, and I went on to Macedonia. So that kind of destroys that, that Christian cliche, that Christian statement, that refrigerator magnet that says whenever God opens a door, walk through it. We still got to have discernment. And so Paul said, even though God opened a door for me, I didn't go. Because my buddy Titus wasn't there. Where am I? Where's the enemy? And where's my buddy? Now listen, later on, Paul and Titus would go to Macedonia. But Paul did not go to Macedonia without a buddy. Fact is, if you just research this word encouragement, you find 109 times in the New Testament that the Bible is an imperative. The Bible commands, the Bible tells us that in Christian community, that we're to encourage one another. Ephesians 6.22, I've said him uh, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. This is just a few of them. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. I, I, I have a buddy that I play golf with. And if he hits a bad shot and I say something that is less than encouraging, he will look at me and he says, is that building me up? And he will ask me. And we laugh. We go on. So we're to, so we're, we're to, we're to encourage one another in community. So I, I just want to show you three things that, that, define, that should define us, 
three things that define us as believers, as Christians, as a Christian community, as a church. The first one is this, and you've heard these statements before. Uh, the first one is this, is just this is us. Is this is us. In other words, we are compassionate people. See, Paul, when you just start looking at 1 Thessalonians, and, and Paul is writing to a local church, so this is all in the context of a local church. And Paul cared greatly about the people that he, lo- that, that he led. He cared greatly about the people that he went to church with. See, it's, it's one thing to say, I love the church. It's one thing to say, I love my church. It's a totally different thing to say that I love the people that go to my church, that I, I serve the people that go to my church, that I know the people that go to my church, that I encourage them and pray for them and support them. See, that's a totally different thing. And here's the interesting thing about Paul. For Paul, encouragement did not come natural to him. It was a learned ability for Paul. When Paul started out, when you look at the early writings of Paul and you look at his life, I mean, Paul, Paul was not good at encouraging people. And all of a sudden, it was a learned behavior because later in his ministry, later in his Christian maturity, all of a sudden, Paul becomes like this encourager, but he had this friend. He had this friend, Barnabas. And Barnabas' nickname was, was encourager. And Barnabas taught Paul what it meant, the value of just encouraging others. First uh, Thessalonians, Thessalonians 2.7 says, but we're just going to walk through this, but we were gentle among you. Paul is talking like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. See, we, we should be compassionate people. It is one thing to say we love the church. It is a totally different thing to say I love the people of the church. I serve the people of the church. I'm in relationship with them. The first step to encouraging people is you have to come to the place you really care about them. Um, Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's something powerful about community. There's something powerful about encouraging community. I, I don't know if you're like me, but every worship service, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged because we come into the presence of God. I'm encouraged because I'm worshiping alongside of you. I'm encouraged because I get to see friends that maybe I haven't seen since last week yet and some of those other things. There's something about church when church is a community, when church is a family, that, that we understand that, guess what? We're, we're in this together. I mean, when our family, in the 20-something years that we've been here, when our family has gone through some dark times, when our family has gone through some deserts, when our family has, has gone and needed prayers, and you know what? You know who's encouraged us? You know who's ministered to us? You know who's prayed for us? You guys. Whether it's cards you sent, text messaging, people showing up to the hospital or whatever, walking with us through some of those things. It's this church that has like encouraged us and supported us. And I hope that can be your testimony as well, that you've come into community to where when you walk through crisis, when you walk through difficulty, there are people stepping in of that it's and it is possible in community to find deep joy in the midst of sorrow there's something I mean I've, I've just watched it happen here over and over I've done some tough funerals here at Fellowship of the Rockies and I've stood up to do a funeral and I've looked out and there's life groups like sitting together and encouraging each other and supporting each other and praying with one another 
I've gone to hospitals and, and, and thought I was the first one to arrive, and I get to the emergency room, and, and the whole life group got there before me. fact is, they were, uh, and they had already prayed. I, I didn't have to do a thing. And that is a wonderful thing. And a, a buddy is an individual. They can, they can see and listen to your pain without passing quick judgment or immediately giving you three points to success or how you can fix yourself. It's one who trusts in the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and not their work. Doesn't mean that they'll always agree with you, but they're truth speakers. They know how and when and in what tone and what look to speak to you. A true Christian buddy is a one that is well acquainted with grace but not just in a theological way, not just in an academic way. Their intimacy with grace is so, so personal. It's like a personal experience, not just the mental acceptance of grace, not just some dry definition of grace that God's unmerited favor. They've experienced God's grace. At some dark times in their life. And they've, they've been down that road when God has ministered to them. A buddy is a rare, just so you know, a buddy is a rare grief, a, a rare gift. I think I said grief. <laughs> That's funny. Bad food, good friends, live long. I'll just remember that. <laughs> yeah, we, we've said this often here. It takes a long time to be old friends. There's no such thing as instant friends. Because you've got to build trust. See, this is why life groups are so important where we learn to encourage one another and come into community with one another and, and that can walk with you in the celebrations and the difficulties of life. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God never wastes a hurt, but you can. And when God comforts you, through a situation, through a set of circumstances, through some hurt or some pain, then we should turn and encourage others with the same comfort that God gave to us. So God never wastes a hurt, but we can. So the first, one, first thing is this, is, is this is us. The second thing is, is this is who we are. We're compassionate people. This is us. We're considerate. This is us, we're compassionate, and this is who we are, we're considerate. First uh, Thessalonians 2.9 says this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, Paul's still talking, we work night and day, that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. A considerate person is a, is a perceptive person. 
A considerate person is a perceptive person that, that like, knows you. Then, in other words, you, you, cannot, you cannot blow smoke to that person. You, you, cannot, you cannot put up a, a, a wall to that person. They, they know you. They know when they ask you how you're doing, they already know whether you're doing well or not. They, they just know. A couple of weeks ago, I, I went back to Dallas for some, some pastor meetings, and, and so I, I, fl- I, I left the house at 4 in the morning, got to Denver, flew out, got to, got to Dallas, got to rent a car, went to my first meetings, went to a bunch of meetings Tuesday afternoon, and then had dinner uh, with, a, with a friend of, of ours, uh, a pastor at, at, at the church there. And so Karen and I know them well, and so uh, Karen wasn't with me, so just Jeff and I went to dinner. And so we're, we're eating dinner, uh, and it was awesome. It was, I'm so sorry, it, I'm getting hungry right now. So, like you're realizing food is like a big deal to me. So we're eating, uh, we're eating shrimp, crawfish, and then a fried alligator for appetizer. Uh, I was with a good friend, bad food, good friends, cancels it all out, live long and prosper. And so, so fact is, I told Jeff, I said, Jeff, uh, you are making this meal right now healthy because we're such good friends. And so, uh, and so we're, we're talking, and so we're about done with the meal, and Jeff looks across the table and says, well, how are you? And I said, I'm good. He goes, no, you're not. Oh, I'm good. He goes, you don't seem good. You don't seem like yourself. Now, we hadn't seen each other in almost a year. He said, you don't seem like yourself. I go, well, you got to understand. I got up at, I mean, I got on a, I I left Pueblo at four this morning and drove to Denver and traveled and got a rent a car and went, I'm just tired. And Jeff is like, I left the house at five in the morning and I ran seven miles came back, took, to sh- took a shower. I'm tired, but I don't seem like you. So I'm going to ask you again, what's your burden? What are you carrying? Because Galatians tell me that we should bear one another's burdens as if they were our own. See, that's a buddy. That's a friend. Paul was perspective and understood what was going on in the life of that church. They planted that church. And Paul knew they couldn't afford to pay him because if they paid him, one, they wouldn't be able to afford to. The second thing is this. There'd be a lot of criticism in, in, in the community, in the lost community, saying Paul is taking advantage of this church. So as a result, what Paul is telling them, Paul is saying that, you know what? I understand your problem. I understand your lack of resources. I understand what's going to happen. I, I perceive what is going on here, and as a result of this, I'm going to work a second job. I'm not going to take a salary. In fact, is we did that when we planted Fellowship the Rockies. We did that same thing. Listen, a good encourager is someone who is considerate about how someone thinks and feels. And they know when, and they know how, and they know in what tone, and they know in what way to look across the table and encourage or even confront if they have to do that. Man, some people, this is just who you are. This just comes as a gift to you. I mean, it's just, it's just something who you are. And others, you know what? This being considerate, 
uh, almost has to be like a discipline. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul, something that you have to work on. But just like the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul trained himself to make others a focus. And so being considered is, is something that is learned. It's something that is learned of being sensitive to, to the Holy Spirit because I believe that there's times when the Holy Spirit prompts us to encourage someone. That ever happened to you? You ever have, I call them whispers? I don't know what you call them. I'm not saying it's an audible voice from God, but it's like a whisper in my spirit that I'm supposed to do something, that I'm supposed to call someone. And the older that I get and the more mature I get in the Christian life, I'm learning not to ignore those whispers, not to ignore those promptings that come from him. I mean, has it ever happened to you where all of a sudden someone's name is like, is like on your heart and on your mind and you cannot get them off of your, off of your mind no matter what you do? So you start praying about them and you pray for them, and, but it's, it's still there. And then there's like this prompting. So you either email them or text them or, or call them or you pick up the phone, which would be better, and you call them and you say, are you okay? And then they respond back, I cannot believe you called me. How did you know? Well, I didn't know. And God, God just told me. I just had this, this prompting. Listen, that, that's not coincidence. That's why spending time in his word is just so important because it helps us to be more sensitive to the promptings of, of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6, 8 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. In other words, we're supposed to pray. And listen, the more we, we life journal, the more we spend time in prayer, the, more, the easier it is. I don't know if you're like me. The easier it is to be considerate of others. And for me, that's a discipline. For me, I can get so driven. I can get so focused. For me, that's a discipline. That's, that, that's just that's how I'm wired. Others of you, it may come as a gift, uh, as, as a spiritual gift. It may be just who you are. Did you naturally think of those things? Uh, here a while back, I'll tell you a, a, a quick story that illustrates this. And I, I so very seldom tell a story that, that, that I got right. And so I'm a little nervous of telling this story. But, but <laughs> sometimes I think I serve as a, better as a bad example than a good example. But, uh, but, but Pastor Chad and I, we'd, uh, we did First Tuesday here, which is, which is our, our monthly staff meeting that we do here at Fellowship of the Rockies. We finished that meeting. Uh, and it was just a hilarious meeting. And so Pastor Chad and I are walking across our parking lot, and we're headed across the street. And all of a sudden, here comes this young girl. She's coming from the pawn shop. She's on the sidewalk across the street. She, it's hot. I mean, it's July. It's, it's June. It's hot. And so she's pushing a, a Walmart cart, and she has like a two-year-old baby in, in, the, in the cart. And you could tell the baby was like red-faced, was, was hot, and she was hot. And she was coming from the pawn shop. And so I got this prompting. I heard this whisper, and God said, give her some money. And so I said, well, you know I very rarely do that. Because I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if she's going to use it for drugs or alcohol or what if it doesn't even go to the baby. And so, he said, and so I heard this prompting come back and says, you need to give her some money. And so I said, she's going to have to ask. <laughs> I mean, if she asks, and Chad's talking, and I don't even know what he's talking about. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure it was important. 
And so, so we're, we're coming across the street. And as we're coming across the street, she's still a ways away from us. And so I'm just walking, and all of a sudden she says, Hey, you got any money you can give me? <laughs> I mean, I got money out of my pocket so quick, because now I'm scared. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look like lightning, but who knows? And so, uh, <laughs> so I, I get my money out of, out of my pocket. It just happens so fast. And I mean, all these thoughts are like going through my mind. And so I reach in my pocket. I get some money. I'm like handing it to her. This, this girl goes nuts. I cannot believe this. She starts crying. I'm going to be able to care for my daughter. I'm going to get her this and that. And so she gets real emotional. And I'm really, really awkward. And so I'm like, well, here. And I'm just backing away. And so thankful that Pastor Chad was there because at least he looked at her and says, God bless you. We're praying for you. At least someone said something spiritual. <laughs> We're called to encourage. Listen, this isn't just a vision statement for the church. This is a vision statement for us. You know what? We, we want to see people. We want to see people go through the steps. People that we go to school with, people that we work with, people that we come in contact with. We, we want to see people encouraged, forgiven, set free, empowered, and serving in the way God designed them. This is what Jesus did with this man in Matthew chapter 9. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1, Paul writes these words. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy... By being of the same mind, he's talking about the church, having the same love, being in full accord and one of mine. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In other words, what Paul said, if you have a relationship with Christ, live this out. So it's not only this is us, and it's not only this is who we are. The third and the last thing is this is what we do. We're consistent. This is just what we do. We should be just consistent at this to where we want to see people encouraged. We want to see people forgiven. We want to see people set free. And we want to see them empowered and then serving in the way that, you know what, the way God has designed them to where now they're going out and they're encouraging people and they're helping people to understand that they can be forgiven and set free and empowered and that they can serve in the way that God has designed them. Verse 10 and and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, You are witnesses in God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted, just another word for encourage, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, is so important, you accepted it not as word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. In other words, Paul was telling them, live a life worthy of God. Live a life worthy of your calling. Man, isn't it really discouraging when you see someone, a Christian brother or sister, and they fall? But doesn't it encourage you 
when all of a sudden you've walked years with someone and they have, they've just faithfully lived their Christian values out. Not perfect. They're living worthy of the calling that God has called them. In verse 11, Paul says, For you know like a father with his children. In other words, Paul uses this picture like a father with, with, their, with their children. And, and, and I've told you this. I, I once thought that once I got my girls raised or our girls raised and out of the house, we're like, we're like done. I know, that's stupid. <laughs> it like goes on and on and on, right? You never quit being a father and you never quit being a mother. You continue to love them. You continue to forgive them. You continue to encourage them. You continue, and you continue to come into community with them. And this is what Paul was saying, just like a father and a mother. It continues. It is consistent. This is who we are. We're just consistent at this. Whether they respond back the way, they, they, the way we think they should, whether they respond and treat it, we're, just, we're consistent in this. Paul was compassionate. He was considerate. But he was also consistent in his love that he had for the church. So just a couple of things. If, if you're going to learn to encourage people, here's just a few things. One is just learn to be specific. It's one thing to tell someone you love them. It's one thing to you tell someone to thank you. It's a totally different thing for you to tell someone why you're thankful of them. You know what we usually do? We wait till funerals. After they're gone. And then we get specific. A true encourager doesn't wait for funerals, doesn't wait for anniversaries, doesn't wait for retirement parties. A true encourager is specific. And list out, this, this is why I'm thankful for you. This is why I love you. Another thing is just learn to be real. Romans 16, 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. In other words, a good encourager will, will be balanced and sometimes speak truth in love. A true encourager um, is just consistent in the way that they encourage. And, and sometimes, you know, the people we need to encourage most, the people behind the scenes. I tell the tech people all the time how much I love them and appreciate them. Without them, there would be no service. There's many times that I walk down that hallway and, and I grab ch children's uh, ministry partners and says, I, did, I just want to tell you thank you for what you do. Most of the church will never see what you do here. But you have a ministry not only to the children, but guess what? Mom and dad get to come into a service without interruption, hear the gospel, grow in their faith, or accept Christ. I just want to tell you thank you for what you, what you do. See, Paul encouraged them in, in writing and then the last thing is this, is just be accepting. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, again, he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Man, there seems to be an ongoing debate that's been since the, the creation of the world. Is the Bible really the word of God? And Paul said this, I am so thankful of you because you receive the word not as if it's from man, but you understand it's divine. You understand it's the word of God. Listen, let me tell you something. It is possible for you to know Jesus, for you to be a believer, and one day you will go to heaven and you not believe in the word of God.
possible. But can I tell you this? You will never live a life worthy of your calling. You'll stay stuck at forgiven. And you'll never really realize that you can be set free. That you're a son and your daughter. Because you've never really come to the place that you've taken his word and believed that is the very words of God and is not corrupted. And when we open up the word, he speaks to us. That's why Paul said his word is at work within you. The evidence is so overwhelming that we still have the same Bible that the apostles had. Just one quick thing and we'll close. In. Leviticus 17, 17 tells us that life is in the blood. For many years, the scientific community made fun of that statement. And it was in 1615, almost 3,000 years later, that Will, William Harvey made a scientific discovery that life is in the circulation of the blood. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that not all flesh is the same. Birds have a type of flesh, uh, reptiles have a type of flesh, uh, and humans have a type of flesh. Scientific community used to make fun of that statement. It wasn't until two to 3,000 years later that there was a scientific discovery and they realized that, you know what? We have a different makeup of the flesh. Reptiles, animals, humans. The evidence is overwhelming. You will never move past, encouraged, forgiven until you come to the place to where you believe that the Bible is a word of God to where you, that word receive, means to personally apply it to your life and live it out. And in that is blessing.